0: That's right. You are listening to Windsor's Inside Pulse for the latest news, views, and opinions in Windsor and Essex County. We remind you that the views and opinions expressed on this show are those of our co-hosts and guests and do not necessarily reflect the views of CGM or other media outlets or any political party affiliations. We are recording on March the 9th, approximately 5.15 p.m. 2021. Please remember to like our Facebook page and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast app. With that being said, my name is Al Tashuba, co-hosting and joined remotely with... Daniel Lablisser and...
1: Dave Sundeen and...
2: Christine Brooks.
3: And today we are very pleased to have a special guest with us, Ward 2 Councillor Fabio Castante who is here to talk about an issue that was at City Council yesterday. This is the residential rental license issue. I'll just set up the issue briefly. So by a 10 to 1 vote at City Council yesterday, so we are recording on Tuesday. So yesterday, Monday, after a lengthy debate and discussion, City Council approved a pilot project for a residential rental license. To be piloted in wards one and wards two so those are the wards that host the university and the college um and to pilot a residential rental license so that if you own a single family home that you're renting out you'll be required to have a license and then have annual inspections for fire and bylaw and things like that um and so so that's what the debate and discussion was this has been an issue that's been at city council a number of times um, I think it's an issue, well, Councillor Castante will tell us about it, but I know it's an issue that he's been working on for about the last 12 years of his life, including before he was a city councillor. So by my math, that's a good third of your life, uh, Councillor Castante. So okay. with that said, before we get into some questions, we'll, we'll turn it over to you to tell us about what hap- about the RRL, about what happened yesterday, and just give us
4: your general thoughts. Thanks, Dan, and thanks, uh, Windsor Insight Politics, for, for having me today and discussing this issue Uh, So, as you all probably know the residential rental license has been uh, an issue that has come to Council, I think this is the third time consecutively in three terms of Council and it's been a on the west side has been an issue uh, for for at least uh, uh, 15 or more years Uh, and so. Uh w- What's different about uh, this term uh, is that there was a pilot project that was proposed so the residential rental license in a nutshell is a bylaw that requires uh, uh, landlords that rent out um, essentially single uh, dwelling unit homes um, to be registered to be licensed uh, and to be subject to an inspection uh, whether it's a yearly or bi-yearly inspection uh, and uh, the crux of it is that it's, it's a proactive uh, regime in nature. And so right now we have, uh, of course, we have uh, the building code and the fire code and, and uh, the landlord tenant board uh, and all other avenues to enforce tenant rights. Uh, but all of that is premised on a complaint driven model. Uh, and that complaint driven model, uh, it, it works for some neighborhoods, but it doesn't work for all neighborhoods in our city. And we've learned that over the last uh, decade or more. Uh, And that's why this has been an issue that's been coming up. Uh, You you know, I said yesterday, um, it's the third time uh, consecutively in in, uh, three terms of council that this has come up, not because the issue is going away, but because uh, it's here still and arguably getting worse. There were two reports that came to council yesterday. Uh, One was uh, a report back on uh, the, the progress of adding two additional building inspectors. So last term of council. Uh, when they were debating the RRL, uh, decided instead to add two additional building inspectors. And what we've learned is that we've mitigated greatly the backlog uh, in our in our inspections. So uh, there's been some good progress there. Uh, but again, uh, all of this within the system of a complaint driven model. And, and so for those who are who are filing the complaints for the 311 system uh, and are diligent about it, uh, there's been some progress and the and the needle has been moved uh, in that direction. Uh, but the second report that came to Council was on the residential rental license and there was four options that were considered. Um, option one was a status quo. Option two was a mandatory citywide program. Option three was a citywide uh, self-declaring program, voluntary program. And option four was a pilot project to be piloted in wards one and two where we have our post-secondary institutions. And this was modeled after what Hamilton is currently doing. Uh, but with the intent that would be rolled out citywide. So it's a temporary pilot. Uh, And so there was a good debate, uh, good discussion. Uh, We had about 18 or so delegates um, and uh, Council ultimately decided uh, uh, nine to one uh, that they were going to move forward with the pilot project. Uh, And what you had yesterday was in my view, a really good compromise, a very sensible, thoughtful and responsible way forward. Uh, because even those who are cynics, uh, uh, opposed to the, the RRL regime, if you will, uh, think about Mayor Drew Dilkins and Councillor Francis, for example, who were uh, in the past opposed to this regime, uh, saw the pathway forward uh, uh, in, in the form of a pilot to, to see if this is something that could work. Uh, it provides, uh, the pilot uh, project uh, provides little risk to the corporation uh, and uh, allows us to build up data and metrics over the next few years and determine if this is something that should in fact be rolled out citywide uh, or or not, and so next term of Council will have to wrestle with that decision, but uh, in essence that's that's what happened i'm grateful, uh, this is the third time's the charm I guess So i'm grateful that we finally got this done and we can move forward but i'm happy to, to chat about uh, any questions or or concerns <laughs> i'm sure Al you've got a few. <laughs> well, well, that's a
3: great overview of the issue, and, and I know, uh, thank you for coming on our show. I know that Al was a delegate yesterday. Al is a, not a supporter of this, so I'm going to turn it over to Al, who I, I think has some questions for you, uh, and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll let you and Al have a bit of a back and
0: forth. Okay, thank you again, uh, Councillor, for joining the show. I can tell you that I was very pleased with the format yesterday, that there was a fair balance of people speaking back and forth with five minutes. And I could tell you that uh, I was surprised with the final vote because three years ago when I spoke, it was five to four, but I guess since it's pigeonholed just award two and ward one as a pilot project to get data, I guess it was easier for people to go along with it. My general... Or, you, or uh, you've just become way less per- persuasive in three years now. <laughs> I don't know. I think, uh, I think that numbers was already in before anybody spoke. But, um, <laughs> what my main crux of uh, of my points were that the valuations went up i don't i didn't hear anybody saying that we're defending these neglecting landlords these neglecting landlords need to be cracked down upon It's either through their own natural ability or it's going to be through RRL or a combination of both. But RRL will help push them along maybe before it needs to be. And and that's an interesting thing. Maybe sales will go up. These poor landlords know the jig is up and they got to sell. Maybe that'll be good. But I have a few questions because it, it deals with the mindset of where you're coming from. And I'm hoping that you can give me three numbers. Four, four numbers, Two uh, three are a scale of one to 10 and one is a percentage number. So my first question is, and my, my co-host already heard these questions. So here's the first question, and this is true. A war 2 house five years ago was worth $130,000. Now the same house, not doing anything to it, can sell for $275,000, more than double. So counselor, on a scale of one to 10, 10 being this is great news. It's awesome for the neighborhood. It's awesome for property owners. It's also awesome for local wealth. It's awesome for the city for new tax revenues. Can you give a ranking on a scale of one to 10 where you fit, where you see the value of a home of 130,000 five years ago, now worth 275 on a scale of one to 10?
4: Yeah, are you, oh, hold on, Al. I just want to make sure I understand the question. In terms of, uh, are, are you saying that uh, property values increasing? by double, is it a good thing or a bad thing? Is that to what you're you, saying?
0: To, in your opinion, for, oh, this, war, for war 2, right. on a scale of one to 10, 10 being great, one being terrible, where yeah. is your number?
4: I, I have an answer, but it's it, I can't identify a number on good or bad. I, I, I think the market valuations increasing is is um, arguably both good and bad. Uh, so we so, put you
0: down for a five? Sure. Okay, next question what percentage of good landlords do you think there are in war two and when i, I say when i say good landlords i mean that they they have maintained their properties they give fair treatments and good living conditions so what percentage because we were talking yesterday about good landlords and bad landlords mm-hmm. i it really depends what percentage do you think it is i
4: i actually don't know i can't it's too speculative i can't i can't give you that answer But all the reason why the pilot is being tested uh, to to find out.
0: Daniel, you predicted that answer very well. Okay, next question. What percentage of ability can law enforcement and building enforcement currently without RRL uh, do the job that RRL is being proposed to do? So like how... Without RRL, we had talked about even three years ago, by law enforcement, uh, uh, the building code, and I think some other delegates said about that. What, what's your percentage that that can be remedied using the current system as opposed to now also needing RRL?
4: The biggest distinction between the current system and the RRL, Al, is, mm-hmm. is simply this. The RRL is a bylaw. And it's a bylaw drafted by the municipality that creates a layer of enforceability and accountability that doesn't exist right now. So do building inspectors and fire inspectors have the ability to inspect? Absolutely, that's right within their mandate. What we're able to to add with this bylaw include penalties, include consent from the landlord uh, to allow inspections, uh, it, in, it includes a whole host of things that we can we can introduce, and that'll be subject to a future consult, you know consultation phase um, that gives us a bit more teeth to to do these inspections. In addition to building the data, building the registry, identifying who these property owners are, uh, and and building up uh, uh, that infrastructure. Uh, and so th- that is you know that is the main thing. If if everyone was complaining uh, on every landlord. Uh, you know, in the city, uh, building inspector and fire inspectors could certainly inspect properties.
0: Okay. And I got one last question. I'm just going to give folks my opinion on the first ones. I think it's 10 out of 10, the properties went up gains wealth with regards to the number of good landlords. I would say it's increasing. I'd say it's about 95% right now. What percentage of ability does law enforcement have? I think it's about 80, but I do get the fact that the neglectful landlords will just never let them in. And that's where the RRL really can focus. So I do agree with that, some extra level of enforcement. I wish it could be done without RRL and just give them this extra power. But I understand that you know it's municipal law, it has to be done this way. And the final question is on a scale of one to 10, uh, how much do you trust the neglectful landlords to do the right thing in two ways. If RRL wasn't there or if RRL is now in place, maybe even like to sell the property that the jig is up and we got to sell before we get cracked out upon. Considering new valuations as well.
4: When you say do the right thing, do you mean um, get their properties up to code or get onto the registry or?
0: No, I mean get the property up to code. I mean like renovate their property, their valuations went up, leverage your money, uh, renovate your property now that you have the value for it, or sell and get out of the business because you know you're not being a good landlord, and you know RRL is coming.
4: So the 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 okay, there's a few there's a few points here. Firstly, the the whole purpose of the the RRL is to again it, to build this bylaw so that there's some deterrence uh, in the marketplace, an added layer of deterrence to say. If you don't subscribe, you're going to be penalized, uh, and that the city now has extra teeth to kind of come after you. That's that's one component of it. Um, will there still be an underground market? Uh, I I am not uh, naive uh, to think that there still won't be, or or excuse me, there still will be. I mean, when I said this yesterday, when the federal government uh, regulated cannabis in our country. I think they knew full well and we all knew full well that it wasn't gonna eradicate the underground uh, market on cannabis sales, but did it you know, significantly improve uh, the market, making it much safer for people to consume uh, cannabis in our society? Absolutely it did. Uh, and so uh, at the policy level, when you're developing policy or legislation of any sort, if you have the opportunity uh, to improve the lives of residents in your community, even if it may not catch everybody, have an obligation I think to try and and that's what this pilot really is it's an opportunity to try this out determine if it works uh, make a good decision next term of council in a few years from now based on data and evidence uh, and and try to make uh, uh, our community a bit safer uh, and build a more harmonious relationship between landlords tenants and homeowners because right now there's a lot of friction there's a huge power imbalance as we all know between tenants and landlords uh, but that power imbalance has gotten aggravated significantly uh, in the last you know, few years because landlords have all the leverage. There's never been a better time for a landlord in the city of Windsor, uh, in my view, than there is now. Uh, and so th- that allows for, for, for some landlords, uh, I know there's a lot of really good landlords out there, but that allows for some landlords to exploit the market in ways uh, that they uh, never could before. Uh, and so... Um, you know, th- this is this is an opportunity for us to try to do the right thing. I think, and and that's why I've, I've always been a firm believer in this. If the complaint driven model worked uh, for everyone, then the only issue is whether or not we should resource it more. But it's it's premised on a complaint driven system that just doesn't work for everyone. Well, I, in
0: 1989, they enacted uh, 75 code standard. My dad and I owned a building, uh, an old building on uh, Ellis. And we had spent uh, over $10,000 a unit and we had to borrow money and we fixed it and we brought it up to code and we brought up the new standards and everything else. It was a major, major project and it it needed to be done. And But it was throughout the city, everyone needed to be done. I think with this RRL, you're going to find that the bad landlords are either going to renovate or they're going to sell. And either way, that's good because we don't want bad landlords and we don't want poor, neglected places. And we definitely don't want overcrowded. So I think you will get the results on the bad landlords. My general concern was would have happened anyways, maybe. And I'm worried about the good landlords being overburdened with they didn't need this to begin with. And it was a a wide blanket to try to catch just a small amount. But We will see what happens.
4: And and you make good points and this is where I think the the drafting of the bylaw becomes critical because uh, as we go through this this next phase and we hear from landlords and we get some good ideas one of the things that we could uh, discover or it could be embedded in the bylaw itself is if upon first inspection uh, the landlord uh, is up to code and fire code uh, the city in its discretion may not uh, uh, want to inspect for two three years maybe and give them some leeway if, if they're a good partner love
0: uh, to and, see that that's
4: great good the full cost recovery model uh, and and we're just shooting off the arm right now obviously a lot of this will be developed but the full cost recovery model is is premised on uh, inspections and so if if building and fire aren't inspecting sure you may have to pay a yearly uh, licensing fee uh, you know whatever that cost is hundred dollars or two hundred dollars just to uh, uh, you know uh, pay for the administration of the the regime uh, but, um, but the actual, you know, uh, uh, like uh, building and fire code inspections, if you're not doing them, then you wouldn't be required to, to pay for them. And so that could be a, a you know, a, an opportunity to uh, reward good landlords in the system. Uh, and conversely, uh, just like we did with dirty yard fees, we've, we've uh, increased them significantly to full cost recovery. We could do the same with bad landlords. And so far as if, if they're not playing by the rules, they uh, they'll, they'll, be ordered to fix their property in whatever way, shape or form. Uh, But if they're caught again and again and again, not playing by the rules, there could be additional fines imposed. Uh, And that is all captured in in the bylaw, which allows us that extra layer, right? So there's ways in which I think this could be very reasonably done. Um, It doesn't have to be a big hammer. It doesn't have to be a a one size fits all. I think we could have different ways to approach this with different landlords.
3: So before I kick it to Dave, I guess I'll just chime in and say that I think the challenge to Al's question about what percentage can the current bylaws cover is that for good landlords, for landlords that are trying to comply with the rules, the existing fire code and the existing bylaw and having a voluntary system probably covers them off at ninety or ninety-five percent. The problem is for bad landlords that are trying to hide and trying to not meet their obligation, the current system, which doesn't allow rights of inspection, maybe only covers them off at ten percent. And that's really, I think, the challenge here. But uh I'll go to Dave. Dave, questions, comments? Yeah, so
1: so Fabio, I you know, I I take a much different position than Al on this. I've seen some of the living conditions. Um around the college and the university and how awful it is and, and the need for something because the volunteer system just simply isn't working um and i know i know that the the bylaw is still in development phase um the one thing that i do agree with alan though and we talked about it last week and i think even the week before when talking about the um the, this new regime which is that many of the bad landlords might simply just try to fly under the radar and never get caught so is there going to be is there talk of this being some sort of penalty phase if you if you should have registered and failed to register and get caught, is there some some massive penalty to encourage everyone to sign up voluntarily versus getting caught and paying a big fine later?
4: Yeah, absolutely. So as part of the next phase in, in the development of the bylaw, we'll, we'll certainly look at other municipalities that have a, a residential rental license uh, and one uh, municipality, Oshawa. Uh, has embedded in their bylaw penalties for those who don't uh, don't register for example and so again it's just another layer of deterrence uh, that we could certainly uh, put into our bylaw to to basically say look if you don't register um, and and we find out uh, through we have to have a standard of evidence to 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 prove that uh, they're in fact a landlord Uh, but if that threshold is met uh, and and you didn't register then there could be penalties imposed um, right off the bat and so that's that's one way. I, there's been some uh, discussion yet in yesterday's debate on how we're going to be able to locate these landlords. Some of them will self-declare, uh, but I'm sure there's going to have to be a bit of a scavenger hunt. Uh, uh, Rob Vanny, our building inspector, was talking about um, uh, you know Kijiji ads and uh, and Facebook ads for for uh, uh, house rentals is a way that they they capture or they try to find a, a property owners, uh, but. You know, with a pilot this small, uh, it allows us to do this in a, in a realistic way too. Uh, and so it's going to be targeted in two geographic areas. And, uh, we know in those two geographic areas, uh, where the majority of rentals are, uh, anecdotally. So I I don't think it's going to be difficult to at least identify, uh, the properties. There may be some difficulty in, 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 uh, in getting some of them licensed so if, if it becomes an issue of, of um, the landlord resisting uh, the only option that the city would have is to is to prosecute uh, against the landlord and it's going to go through you know our, our POA proceedings uh, because they're, they're we'd argue in breach of our bylaw so um, so you know that could be a bit onerous but I'm Hoping that that reflects a very, very small minority of landlords. I think even some of the bad ones, once they know that once they're caught and they, you know, we're, you know, the city's onto them kind of thing, I, I think they would be foolish to try to resist it and go through the court route.
3: So I know that Christine, Christine is another person who I think is not a fan of this regime. I don't know. When I look at Christine, I see slumlords. So I, I think that, uh, I, I think that Christine may have, I'm just kidding, Christine. Uh, but Christine, questions for uh, Councillor Costante?
2: Well, I do. And I have comments about it. Um, To be fair, I am a conservative. And so um, big government, you know, government um, solutions don't, when there are alternatives really do not interest me. And I see this as a potentially um, something that will quelch um, small business because that's what it is. Uh, Rental properties are are people's livelihoods. And, And as they are people's Homes, and that's where the very big problem, of course, lies. Now, that doesn't mean that the problems that I don't see some of the very, uh, you know, r- problems at the root. And at the root, there is um, uh, student house or housing that for students going to Saint Clair and, and the university that are inadequate by by standards that have been established. Uh, definitely, um, safety is is an issue. Has to be so. It is the non-compliant. Uh, part that is problematic totally in agreement and that there's an imbalance in power between a um, a landlord I find the term a bit futile but there you go uh, landlord and uh, uh, the tenant is absolutely true as well um, but not ex- not it's not as simple as the uh, pretend either um, one can have a bad tenant as one can have a bad landlord let's be fair um, mm-hmm. Also, um, I, I have to say that I come from that area. I was raised in that area of town, um, on right near the university, in an area that um, has been completely transformed in the last 20 to 30 years, actually 30 to 40 years. And um, part of that decision was, uh, uh, was made possible by the, uh, by the city when it saw that various schools were closing and did nothing to mm-hmm. alter that. So the schools were closed and the families didn't come big big surprise of course they didn't and as a result some of those houses that were very big houses then were transformed into student housing totally rational and totally um willfully of course it's not what we want in a in a a really stable society you have all kinds of people living in an area you have small houses, big houses, uh, and, and, and uh, assisted housing and everything. That is the healthiest. Uh, it is not what people want. It's, we have a very much a NIMBY kind of uh, uh, mentality. And I find that deplorable because, of course, uh, I I will read to you what the newspaper said, where longtime residents have seen their neighborhoods transformed into student-saturated rental havens with accompanying complaints about unkempt properties and unsafe living conditions. So who are we really representing here? Actually people who lived there before, we're not saying, what are we saying? That student uh, rental is somehow bad, it's somehow inferior. I find that deplorable. Students are the future of our society. And to think that just because there are many congregated on account of what happened because of deciding to have the uh, the schools disappear is a lousy thing. Uh, the people who have chosen to stay there yes they have a lot of students there and if it's uh, the by the way the RRL will not change anything about unkempt lawns and so on you are talking about young adults who will probably live you will have the problems of alcohol drugs etc that go along with all this communal living so that's that is something that will not be addressed by the RRL I I agree,
4: agree, Christine. I think the RRL is a narrow, it's a narrow tool. And I, and again, I made this very clear yesterday. It's, it's not. um, So, of course, we have bylaws for dirty yards and, uh, and nuisances and things of that nature. The RRL, the RRL narrowly focuses on building code and fire code standards uh, within our rental properties. And so it's a, it's just a safety measure. But to your earlier comments, I also don't disagree with you on um, this being at its root somewhat of a planning issue uh, because we knew decades ago the university was growing. Uh, We didn't know how fast the college was going to grow in in the last uh, five or ten years Uh, but there were certainly trends uh, that both institutions were growing and uh, you know what did we do decades ago to plan for this in a smart way because you know we're starting to see some of the market react to this housing crisis when you look at uh, the, the Fairmount property on Crawford and University, the graffiti project on University, a lot of the downtown developments, I think you're going to see over time, and this is, the, this is part of the, the whole vision of building a more harmonious uh, community uh, between landlords, tenants and, and homeowners, uh, is uh, a lot of living patterns will, uh, will change. I think uh, some of these proposals like the, the Fairmount property, uh, for example, uh, is is very attractive to student living. And if you, if you start seeing a lot more student uh, tenants uh, choosing these properties to live in, uh, it'll free up a lot of the single family homes back to more permanent residents, which will change neighborhood dynamics. But the RRL is not designed to address that. It's just designed to, to address better enforcement standards for building code and fire code violations.
2: Well, and then I have one more thing, then I'd like to, to say that in fact, there is a solution for, and, and I agree with what you just said, absolutely it, but it will have killed off the, the, the small businesses. for bigger businesses, developers that can uh, make bigger, bigger things, including right on Ask and now, right in back of one of the houses is a big a big structure. So I, I think that's where where it might be going. But um, I would like to say that in my profession uh, which was um, uh, teaching and is teaching, um, we have um, uh, we are I should here, um, uh, we, we have a pr- profession that can regulate itself, and I think frankly, um, landlords can regulate themselves. Um, there is a lot of pride in belonging to the Ontario College of Teachers. It means something to re- be reaccredited each year. There's a fee of $120 dollars. Um, I think uh, the RRL will be a lot of over bureaucratization. It does not necessarily speak, it pretends to speak in the name of tenants, but um, it also speaks in the name of non-student housing. It stifles rather than generates a climate that will ensure more student housing uh, become available. And it is confrontational rather than collaborative. And I really think that if you had, a way of being accredited and you had to become accredited to become a, a registered a rental property you would actually um do what you need to do because you would have that stamp and it's a, like a pledge or a guarantee it it puts you out there there are certain expectations
4: so christine so so that's your view i've got a different view and guess what now we'll know well after this pilot's done we'll know who was right so In a few years from now, it uh, we will get back together and one of us will say you're right, okay? Is that a deal?
0: So, uh, I, well, Fabio, you got the votes, you got you got uh, council on your side on this, so hey, you, you. You cool.
1: You changed the opinion of the mayor and counselor Francis, and I think even Councilor Geniac was
0: and you've you volunteered it's your ward to do it, so it wasn't like you said we got to do it for the whole city, you're like, well, we'll do it for you. You got Fred involved, you know, I think. Spending five to ten thousand dollars to renovate someone's home is very reasonable to get that registered license. I, I think that'd be good value. My biggest concern is if the ceiling heights aren't concerned, and no matter what they spend, short of excavating and getting engineer certificates, they can't do it, and they're used to having basement uh, in law suites or things like that. That would be the concern if, the, if that ceiling height. Six foot five is reasonable. That six eleven is way too high for but the that's majority. Provincial. Of Al, that's provincial. You yes know i know i know that locally listen back in the day it was six foot two if you're above six foot two it's not a cellar c-e-l-l-a-r and that i think is the majority threshold which people have with fire escape windows x type all right drive.
3: well al if you want to complain about that unfortunately you're gonna to have to get your buddy a uh, doug ford on the show rather than councillor Castante because it, it, it's not his jurisdiction councillor Castante, right. just before we let you go I, I want you to i want to ask you a bit about the uh, the council dynamic on this one so this is one that's had uh five, five votes in the past or five, four votes in the past. And ultimately, uh, you know, the, the media reports were that you were working very closely with the mayor on this. Ultimately he went from a, he says he doesn't like this thing. He doesn't support this, but he was prepared to give it a try. So maybe you can just tell us a little bit about the, the dynamic of this coming together to get to what was ultimately a, uh, I don't know there's mixed reports as to whether this was a nine to one or ten to one vote by my math it was ten to one although the uh, the Windsor star headline said nine to one but so just if you can talk a little bit about the dynamic of this coming together to something that almost everybody could live with uh and working with the mayor on this and how that all worked
4: Yeah, so i i i was a student of this issue before i was a counselor and i saw the dynamic out um both when ron jones uh, uh was a counselor and last term as well and it, it was always very divisive and it was always, you know, one or two votes uh, from being passed. And so back in April or May of 2019, I asked a council question that was uh, fairly, in my view, was, was fairly comprehensive um, that had addressed a bunch of issues and what, mostly to do with nearby campus living. And one of the questions was a report back on a residential rental license to be piloted in Ward 2 with the intent of it being rolled out citywide. And we did get a, a report back in August of last year and administration's view at that time was that it simply uh, would fall uh, in breach of the human rights code uh, if you targeted one area over the rest of the city. And, uh, and so th- their recommendation at the time was not to move forward with a pilot. If you want to report back on a citywide program, um, certainly administration would take direction from council however they see fit, but uh, they were of the view that the pilot was a non-starter. I, I had a, an instinctual uh, difference of opinion. Obviously, I mean, I don't think this has been played out in, in courts, uh, in other jurisdictions, but I felt that the temporary nature of a pilot wouldn't fall outside the code. And, you know, uh, I just had a different interpretation of it. Uh, and so I've, I've done some research um, on my own time and, and learned that Hamilton is actually uh, rolling this out uh, in a pilot fashion and as soon as I learned that I, I had a meeting with their licensing commissioner and a counselor in Hamilton and as soon as I learned that I reached out to the mayor's office uh, because I've talked uh, about this issue with the mayor before and for him he, he his position was the same as it was uh, the last two terms of council he was consistent to say you know I, I don't I don't like this this bylaw I don't uh, I don't think it'll be effective um, but when I brought that forward and administration um uh, then, you know, started uh, the lines of communication with the uh, Hamilton administration to learn more about their proposed bylaw. Uh, it opened up a pathway uh, for, for the mayor uh, and for others, frankly, uh, in my discussions with a lot of councillors. It opened up a pathway for them to want to consider this, even if they don't like it. Uh, and so to me, that was, I felt, uh, the way forward to get this done, to get this through. And, and frankly, I think it's the responsible, sensible thing to do, because it allows us to build up the infrastructure, the knowledge, the data, without taking on a huge risk uh, as, as a city. Uh, and it's very surgical in nature. So remember, you know, the, the whole premise of this uh, residential rental license is for it to be a proactive regime uh, and To do it as a pilot in this way allows us to um, to really test whether or not the proactive regime uh, is more effective than than our complaint driven model. And so going into Monday, I was confident uh, that there was going to be support. I didn't know what the numbers were going to be. You never know until the debate, um, you know, because things could happen. Delegates could be persuasive administration, uh, depending on 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 what comes from administration could be persuasive Uh, and so I, I didn't know exactly how this was going to turn out um, but uh, I was confident that there was a pathway there that was established that I, I thought a lot of people could at the very at the very minimum bite their lips and say let's let's just try this.
3: All right and uh, so thank you for joining us and just before we let you go any other issues you want you want to plug or talk about while we uh, well you uh, excuse me while well we have you here before we let you go.
4: Oh dear. There's always issues. Um, You know, I, we just got through budget, which I thought was actually a a really good sensible uh, again, responsible budget. I'm sure you guys have already talked about that at length. Uh, But I'm, I'm happy with uh, the direction I think on balance. Um, And this year is, is the year of filling the gap. We've got a $38 million hole uh, that uh, that is projected um, and, uh, it's all about uh, federal and provincial transfers um, and filling that gap, and so uh, I think budget allowed us to be uh, to be prepared for the worst um, if if the federal and provincial governments don't step up in the way that we need them. Um, but um, um, but yeah, this year you know is a u- very unique, peculiar year because of COVID, and uh, and the hope is that uh, we get that support that we need and get Windsor going again because. You know, we've lost a lot of revenues. the The casino brought in uh, uh, revenues. The, the airport brought in revenues. Um, you know, and and it's it's really taken a hit on our on our budget. And so, I'm hoping that um, we can get back to some semblance of normalcy in, in the in the summer months.
0: Um, Fabio, the, the as you know, property values are way up. The city is sitting on a bunch of properties at the legal department, including one I got my eye on on College and um, and Campbell, right right in there. Uh, they're, start selling them off, start selling off land, sell it for top dollar. I mean, things are rolling, then you'll get tax dollars from the new buyers as well. Okay, really leverage the higher uh, real estate value. Absolutely. So, so- so,
3: so with with that said, I think we're going to need a, a lobbyist registrar and put uh, put Al on there. But uh, with that said, thank you so much, uh, Councillor Costante, for joining us. This has been a great discussion. We're going to let you uh, get back to your day. I'm sure you have a thousand things on the go, but thank you for uh, spending some time with us today. We're going to take our break. We'll be back. Uh, we'll be back just on the other side in a moment.
1: And welcome back to the second half of Windsor's Inside Pulse. Uh, the first half we had uh, Councillor uh, Castante. Want to say thank you to him again for attending uh, to for for a very uh, action-packed first half with with Al Grilling him and I think uh, Fabio giving some some very reasoned responses. Um, so in any event, we're going to move on now. Uh, Continue to focus a bit on the housing um, issues that that face Windsor, and, and specifically the the homeless uh, issue. So we've had a number of stories this week, all of which uh, we'll share links to on our our Facebook page later. And uh, the first two stories are from uh, CBC dealing with the fact that the city of Windsor is purchasing a hotel in the midst of purchasing a hotel to assist with the, uh, the homelessness crisis and to provide a, a place for the, the homeless to go. Um, certainly uh, an interesting idea to, to buy a hotel for this purpose. Um, so the city is in the midst of doing that. And, and uh, the one article refers the fact that, that Councillor Borderland mentions that there'd be a lot of coordination between the city and, and uh, homelessness uh, advocates. And then the, the, uh, the third story, which we'll post, has to do with the fact that the, also CBC News article, that the downtown mission is ignoring uh, health unit orders and reopening to serve uh, the homeless population despite the outbreaks at the the downtown mission. Um, and we'll have to see what comes of that because I imagine the, the health unit may take steps to enforce its orders. And we'll have to see how that all plays out in the coming um, days. Um, so so certainly an interesting um, number of stories dealing with with homelessness in the city of Windsor and and wanna get everyone's thoughts on it. Uh, Al, you wanna weigh in first on this one?
0: Uh, I trust Dunn to know what he's doing. At the same time, it's a tough priority. Uh, the feeding, the homeless, the shelter, and the COVID. And I'm really hoping that the vaccines just start making things normal again and this issue is put behind us. It's a tough situation uh, and competing interests.
3: So, So dealing with the hotel piece first, I guess the devil's in the details on this one. We're gonna have to know what exactly is being bought, how much the city's paying. My understanding from what's come out so far is that it's gonna be fully funded from upper levels of government, in which case, you know, more power to them. I, I have no issue with that. But I think that the devil's really in the details. I mean, the city was talking about building a, uh, a large homeless shelter a couple of years ago, I, I think that certainly uh, if, we can, if we can buy it for significantly cheaper than build it and cities usually uh, get taken for a ride whenever they build anything, then I, then I think that buying it at an appraised value uh, makes more sense than construction. So that certainly makes some sense. On the downtown mission story, I mean, look, you, you can't just ignore what the health unit is saying, but I do find it very problematic that uh, there were some, some stories in the news and in social media in the past couple of days about basically the city facilities for former mission users being closed or maxed out. And I mean, it seems to me to be a major problem for the health unit to say downtown mission, you're shut down, these people need to go to the city facilities and then the city facilities basically putting up a full sign on their door. So I ultimately think that this comes back to the mission, to the, to the health unit to figure out what they need to do to allow the mission to do its work because, I mean, it's one thing to shut down a restaurant or a store because of health issues, to shut down a homeless shelter, you're basically saying, well, it's going. It's worse for you to be potentially exposed to COVID than to be living under a bridge somewhere. And I don't think that's appropriate. I think that that you have to balance the health concern. Christine?
2: I totally agree with you, Daniel. I think that that's the very big challenge that I think all of the uh, people who have been making these decisions have had uh, as a challenge, the challenge of weighing um, the, you know, the, the the COVID and then the homelessness has, I think, is is bigger than ever, the, the problem and uh, the humanity of it all. I So I, I appreciate what they've been trying to do and definitely... Um, my heart breaks when I hear that people have been turned down at the aquatic center. And um, uh, so I think the hotel is a very, very good uh, idea, a very necessary uh, thing. Unfortunately, I mean, it, it would be good if it were a temporary thing. The good thing is we're going into a warmer weather and we are also um, coming, uh, you know, we are going to get our vaccines. Those two things I think are going to be changing the the, the possibilities
1: uh, in the short term. I'm also in agreement with you, Daniel, the fact that uh, you know it's a, it's, it's a bit difficult to tell the admission to remain closed when we're still in uh, the winter months, uh, admittedly quite a bit warm the past few days, but we're still in the winter months and at nighttime when it's especially cold, people are being turned away and no place to go um, and, and no plan in place to, to house them. So we'll, we'll continue to monitor this um, going forward. But the, again, the, the first half of our show was uh, devoted to uh, the, the rental uh, aspect of the, the local uh, housing issues. The first and second half is related to the homelessness issues. They continue popping up over and over again, and, and rightfully so, because they, they are major concerns and issues in the city that we'll continue to monitor in the coming.
3: And they're, and they're inherently related. I, I mean, yeah. certainly there's homelessness that's caused by addiction and things like that, where there's general issues, but we're going to see a much larger homelessness problem as real estate prices continue to rise and you know and and that's that's the downside of what we're celebrating when we celebrate the uh, real estate prices going up
1: that's right that's right. That that is the, that you know there's, uh, there's always a con to every pro, and one of the cons is people are are priced out of the uh, buying a house, and people get priced out of uh, being able to afford rent. But again, we'll continue on monitor going forward. I'm sure Al will weigh in going forward, saying, "Well, I know this is only good sunshine and rainbows ahead for." Uh, they could have
0: bought when it was low. Would they wait for the Toronto investors to say <laughs> winters worth more? Come on.
1: But let's let's move on from these these issues. So the, the next set of issues uh, relate back to the, uh, the the local tool and mold industry. So we've had uh, good and new good and bad news stories in the past few weeks. Uh, w- one of the I think long term good stories will be the fact that there are a number of local firms uh, who are bidding on Project Arrow. So um, we're going to post the story up online later. This is a Dave Waddell article from the Windsor Star on March the 8th, uh, entitled Local Firm Show Big Interest in Project Arrow. You may recall a, a few weeks back, we reported on Project Arrow, which is a, um, this idea of a uh, made in Canada, zero emission vehicle. Uh, and there was a call put out by the Automotive Parts Manufacturers Association uh, for different companies across uh, Ontario, across Canada to bid on uh, making components of this car um and, and uh, they've been uh, shocked by the level of bids that have come come in to date so uh there's been 302 firms to have put forth proposals uh to date and 40 of those are from windsor area companies uh, largely because this is the automotive capital of canada where the tool and, and and mold industry is is uh is still a a big player locally we have the expertise and and the companies here that uh, are involved in the automotive industry and, and can bid on this type of work so uh, the 302 from across Canada more than uh, 10% were from the uh, the Windsor region um, and, and so when this goes forward it sounds like there'll be some jaws of the tool and dye industry and I, I, Al I see you want to weigh in first.
0: Well I, I think we should just pair our two articles together because it's basically the same thing in the tool and dye industry and you know you long gone are the days where Chinese and Asian companies come in and buy the entire manufacturing and buy it out because the jobs aren't there. Manufacturing is back. Windsor-Essex is back. And also another Dave Waddell story, this one March 9th, uh, DMS Canada expands with the purchase of component guys. And we got DMS Canada right on Black Acre Drive in Tecumseh. And you know, so the article goes on. This is a good thing, by the way, because whenever you have mergers of companies, there's talking about efficiencies, more competition. These are North American companies, and these are ways that can compete against rivals from around the world. And that means better job security uh, locally, as we seem to be the headquarters and, and the main skilled trades. Uh, for manufacturing. So, one of the comments here our goal is to have more inventory, a better selection of products, and more experienced people. This is Mike Hicks, DMS Director of North American Sales. Component guys are very good at what they do, and we feel we can blend together to fill some voids here. We feel it is complementary, fit, and we can hit the ground running. And that's exactly what I'm talking about mergers, acquisitions, working together, finding the efficiencies, and then two companies become better, one company or led by the stronger company. It's uh, economics 101, and it's a good thing. And we've got some of it right here in Windsor-Essex with DMS.
1: Yeah. And so I I agree with you, Al. I think consolidation in the long run is, is, is a good thing because, uh, you know, hopefully it results in, in stronger uh, local tool and dye companies, more financially viable. We've had some bad news stories in the past uh, few weeks with uh, plants closing unexpectedly uh, with no notice to their workers in advance, right? So there's there's obviously some areas of the tool and dye industry uh, that are struggling locally. Um, but, uh, you know, when, when, the, when those companies fail, others will, I think, rise to the occasion and be bigger, better, and stronger because of it. Um, so, Daniel, I saw. Did you want to to weigh in on this, or to, Go ahead.
2: Yeah, I'm going to say, yeah, I think it's really important, to, and it's exciting because um, anything that can, you know, again, we're going to have to. We have again a lot of unemployment right now. In part, it's the COVID, post COVID, and we have to really. Uh, strategically place ourselves we are also at I think at an interesting junction um, in 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 the history of uh, the automotive sector so all of these things are playing uh, you know as to how are our companies going to position themselves and uh, it it goes along with the story we had last week about uh, you know the potential of attracting um, for for battery cells somebody to to build the battery cells to electric uh, uh, vehicles. And all of that is really important because it builds on, all of these stories build on each other. The more people hear that Windsor is a place where you can build um, and where you can, uh, you know, uh, make all these component parts, uh, the better it is.
3: Yeah, so, uh, First off, Project Arrow. I think this is good news. I hope that this is not like the last Canadian project Arrow, which I think ended up in Lake Erie or something like that. Probably
1: uh, Lake Erie. Yes.
3: But 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 certainly uh, certainly this looks good news. It's nice to see a Canadian led major project like this. DMS Canada purchase of component guys again. I, I think this is a good news story. I think that this is kind of the canary in the coal mine when things are firing on all cylinders. Um, both literally and figuratively in the tool and die industry, it tells us that things are good in Windsor. That doesn't mean we don't need to diversify but but certainly I think that this is generally a good news story. You know, the, the concern that I always have when I see the mergers is if it's a merger to get bigger to compete with bigger that I think is good news. I'm always somewhat concerned that if you're just sort of taking competitors out of the market, does it, does it actually tighten the market? I don't know what the, uh, the, the business goals here were. I understand that the component guys group was a group that previously broke off of DMS Canada. So it's kind of interesting to see them uh, sort of buy up their fo- the business of their former uh, employers. Um, but I, I hope that this is part of them seeing that there are synergies of working together again, I guess, and that they'll be able to compete with, uh, with, with larger outfits, which I think is a good news story. So that's my thoughts there. Christine, you wanna take us into our last story?
2: That's right. Well, not very long ago, we had the International Women's Day and, and um, really there's a new campaign that has come along and it is um, uh, spearheaded by Noor Hashem Fawaz, the president and founder of Build a Dream. It's a wonderful initiative, really. Uh, where it, it is a Windsor nonprofit that encourages female students to explore careers where they are underrepresented. And this has been, I mean, for years, various, uh, you know, in the sciences and in other areas, uh, uh, whether it's a uh, uh, university programs, college programs, apprenticeships, In there are areas where women are underrepresented. And it is, uh, she has lost, launched uh, the her power campaign to reinforce accountability for gender equality. Um, A lot of it is about, um, you know, workplace uh, environment and how women, and in in this case women, but it can be other uh, groups feel um, that they can belong. And so it is really about, um, it, it is a community effort. The community, she calls on the community to make a pledge to, to diversity and inclusion. Very, very important. I, I was a teacher all my life, you might say, but in a previous life, I was an economist. And as an economist, um, women were not very well represented at all at the time. It was very, very difficult. And I'll never forget that, even though it did not uh, change my course, really, I, it did affect me very, very profoundly. Um, one of the a major uh, woman economists in Canada, um, committed suicide very shortly after having been harangued at one of her. Uh, when I I saw her making a a a um, a speech a presentation, and I'll never forget the terrible feeling I had when I heard that she had um, uh, taken her own life. Uh, and and it really just not it was it, I don't know if it was exact totally linked to it, but it made me feel that uh, she had not found her niche in that profession.
1: So uh, g- going back, I guess, to, to celebrate this, this good news story. Um, so, so Noor has been a community leader for, for a number of years now. Uh, I had the pleasure of meeting her five, six years ago. Uh, always impressive. So uh, I encourage you all to check out her her campaign, um, the hashtag her power, uh, which is, uh, the is the day uh, is the day of the release. Um, and it's a, you know, merchandise line promoting education, empowerment, inclusion, and diversity. Um, so check that out. Uh, apparently, um, there is a uh, 10000 donation for uh, Build a Dream. Um, and, and so it um, looks like a, a great all-around uh, idea to, uh, you know, and what better way to launch it than uh, on International uh, Women's uh, Day week. So um, uh, congrats to Noor. Uh, Al, your thoughts?
0: Hey, great news story. You guys said it all. I mean, it, this is, you know, this, this is uh, very empowering and something that, uh, you know, we love good news stories here on Windsor's Inside Pulse to share with everyone. Yeah, congr- congrats to Noor. This
3: is uh looks like a good program. Happy belated International Women's Day to everybody. Happy belated International Women's Day, Christine. And uh, I, I, I guess with that, we uh, we have a few minutes left. So let's circle back to the big topic that we covered today, the, uh, the RRL. And now that we've, uh, got Councillor Costante out of here. We'll talk a bit about him and about his initiative behind his back and how this all went. So uh, Al, I, I think you've got more to say
0: on this. Well, look, we had pre- I had predicted along with you guys when I read you the questions, what I plan on asking him. So the one to 10, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing that housing in war two doubled, I mean, he had to ride the line on this. It's good and back. So I put him down for a five. So he was looking for the number. I just helped him out. I'm like, okay, you mean five? Said, yeah, there you go. <laughs> I said five. I was, but listen, come on. It's a nine or 10. Think about no, but it. but Now
3: the problem with this is that there are reasons that it's very good. There's reasons. And certainly if there's equity in these houses that the landlords can then use to improve them, it's good. But there's, there's a couple challenges. One, it does nothing for the existing, existing residents. If it's just people off in Toronto, buying these things up and sitting on them and two, I mean, there is the concern, and this again, uh, Councillor
0: Costante was very clear on this. This is not what the RRL is meant to uh, to cover. Talking nothing to do with RRL. My, well, my question had nothing to do with it. I was just talking about, is it a good thing or a bad thing? Well for but, but Adam, up?
3: The, the other reason it's a challenge is that if this gives if this gives commercial buyers an advantage over people that want to, live in the home, like residents that want to buy their own home and live in it. What Christine said was, Christine was saying, which is, well, this is why all the schools left. The schools are going to continue to leave because if there's no young people to live in these homes and no families, they continue to leave. So it isn't,
0: it's, there's good, there's things that are good about it and things that are bad about it. My question was poised only to the valuations, not school districts, not any particular neighborhood. And in general, when housing goes up and wealth goes up, that If you are asking somebody, hey, you need to renovate your property by $15,000 to make it fire and code and building code, they should be like, yeah, no problem. I can leverage a HELOC loan now. I've got about $80,000, $90,000 in equity. I'm more likely to be able to do that. Whereas if the property only went up a little bit, they'd be scrambling to get this done. Yeah, well, housing no, the goes up?
1: gentrification, Gentrification is good for the middle class and the upper class. Gentrification is not necessarily good for the people who are living in Ward 2 because they are being pushed out of their own neighborhoods for affordability issues. Um, if you can't afford to buy a house there and can no longer afford to rent a house there, where else is there for you to go? Drillard Road, do you, do you go Do you go to? You,
0: okay, so how do people even afford Toronto there? I mean, you could put this argument they don't. anyways. Put- they don't.
3: They're all, they're all leaving. But uh, but the people that are leaving there w- be, are because they can't afford a $2 million house. The the challenge here is
0: that- We're still affordable here in Windsor.
2: Comparatively, we're still affordable. On the one hand, Al, you're totally Right. Uh, it is a boon for the homeowners and the people who own property. But all depends on the distribution of that of that at, on the onset. If you have only one property owner of the whole area, then it's not so good. If you have it fairly evenly distributed in a community, then it's not so bad. But as as Dave says, if there is a group of people who is completely Uh, left out and who doesn't own anything, then they can only uh, uh, benefit through some of that money being reinvested in the properties, which is what Daniel said. And, And there are people who are putting that money back in.
0: And that was my speech, actually, as far as the, the city council delegation, I talked about how people now have money in their houses, they can hire uh, people to renovate, they can put the money back into the community, they buy local goods. I mean, let's assume not everybody's going to just, you know, spend it and keep it, but it's good to have. And wealth is good. To have an extra $2-3 three billion of value in War Two is a good thing. So in general, it's it. I'm not talking specifically this person that. In general, is that a good thing for wealth to be created? Yes, it is. Any, and any other thoughts on the dynamic with
3: the uh, with the decision that occurred at council? Uh,
1: yeah, yes, I'll, you I'll I'll weigh in on that. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's um, just a comment. You went back earlier. You mentioned you know it was reported in Windsor as being nine to one, where it was actually ten to one. I, I think the distinction is important because. Traditionally, the mayor doesn't vote unless there's a tie. Um, and I'm surprised that, um, you know, well, Mayor Dilkins said for a while that he, he's going to vote regardless, even though he knows that it only Matt, his vote, vote only actually counts when it's a tie because he's mm-hmm. a tiebreaker, but he wants people to know where he stands. And, and I, I'm still surprised that he came out in favor of this after opposing it for as long as he did, which speaks to Councillor Castante doing the necessary background work and showing that if you go and have conversations work collaboratively, um, you can change people's minds on, on council and at least. Um, at least at least they're going to give something a try as opposed to saying no from the get-go. So uh, congrats to Councilor Costante on that. I,
0: I want to congratulate. Look, I, I don't agree with it, but I do congratulate Fabio. He's passionate about it. I definitely know he means well. I definitely know he wants to crack down on the bad landlords, as all of us do. His approach is this way. Thank goodness it's a pilot project. We'll see what happens. And I also want to add, thank goodness, and we heard it here on Windsor's Inside Pulse, that he is open to the next phases of how this bylaw is going to be written, which actually gives opportunity, further opportunity for landlords to provide input. And if he's saying that the good landlords will get a pass for three years of their license, because you know why waste money hounding somebody who's good? I mean, you could determine pretty quickly, okay, it's all set up. Okay, you're probably gonna keep it this way for the next few years. We don't have to bother you every couple of years and just focus on the bad ones and be very prudent and efficient with that. If that's his approach, I'm starting to like it a little bit. I don't agree with it, but if it has to be, at least it's fair, and at least there's some input that can go forward. So I do want to thank Fabio very much for coming on, answering our questions, and I hope we have them back. And let's see how this turns out. And when it comes to the landlord input, I plan on helping out City Council to help shape a policy. At least it'll be better than worse. So Al, we'll close this out with since you kept asking him one to ten questions, and yes. we know
3: that you, we know that you are a you know that you are an extreme capitalist and you think that this is Math too much regulation so if, if you are now to rank fabio constante on a scale of
0: one to ten from communist to capitalist where do you rank him i'm gonna put him at a five i mean that's where he answered the most fundamental question did he put himself at a five i put him at a five all righty christina the any final
1: the solid yes,
2: I, wish, I, I hope that some of those very important objectives will be met through this uh implementation and that means that um, those students who are suffering from bad, uh, you know, housing, that it, it, it is addressed and that would be the greatest thing that this can, that can happen. So let's hope for the best.
3: So with that said, I think this was a great show. And uh, we had a great time with Councillor Costante. Thank you once again for joining us on Windsor's Inside Pulse. Please like us on Facebook and pound that subscribe button on your favorite podcast app. Stay, stay safe. Stay healthy, have a great week, and we will see you next week.